Grace and peace be yours from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. For our textual consideration tonight from Isaiah, the 50th chapter, the Messiah prophetically speaks, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. So far, our scriptural texts, friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, Later this evening, we'll sing that which has directed our thoughts through this Lenten season thus far, Lamb of God, pure and holy, who on the cross did suffer, ever patient and lowly, and then we'll sing thyself to scorn didst offer. Tonight, along with our scriptural text, it's this phrase, thyself to scorn didst offer, it's this phrase, that, that we consider a phrase, indeed, well worth considering. It's been said that at times during the days of the Passover of old, the blood of lambs and goats ran ankle deep in the streets near and around the temple at Jerusalem. Ankle deep. That's a lot of blood. It's a lot of lambs and goats. It's almost tragic, isn't it? The number of, of innocents led to the slaughter. But their lives certainly were not for naught. Fact is, few created things in or under heaven, few of them have the high distinction that these lambs and rams and goats and other animals of sacrifice were given. A high level of this distinction because these these were vessels through which their God worked, vessels he himself instrumentally used to do eternal things, to awaken and sustain nothing less than faith and eternal life in the human creatures that he so dearly loved, the ones he was preparing for eternity, eternal things he was doing through these vessels. In fact, those lambs led to slaughter are in the rare class, I would say, with bread and wine and water and words of human language and letters. The very things today to which God attaches and through which he expresses his word in order to create and sustain faith and preserve everlasting life in creatures like you and me. These lambs were, as it were, they were near sacramental. Their purpose and their calling in this world's life and every day, it was sublime. But as distinguished an office as these sacrificial, these near sacramental victims held, you can be sure that they, they didn't offer themselves. Cognitively, if, if these animals would have known, they couldn't have known. If they would have known for what high purpose they were being used, I would suppose they would have gladly offered themselves, but these didn't. You can be sure that they didn't offer themselves. Now, maybe in animalistic ignorance, they went quietly, and they opened not their mouths, unsuspecting of what was to come, but no doubt, often, often I would suppose, and I'm certain they went with a fight. And sometimes I would think quite a fight. The smell of death, the aroma of a, a fellow lamb's 
fresh blood. Their natural instinct began to resist the sound of cries from other lambs from over yonder, and their built-in sense told them stubbornly to defy the priestly hands that were grabbing them, that were holding them down. Surely they didn't offer themselves. But Christ did. The Lamb of God did. Well aware of the altar, well aware of the price to be paid at Calvary, well aware that he himself was the victim to lie gently down upon that altar, Christ did offer himself. In fact, in our text, from Isaiah, it's prophetically said by the Christ, a prophecy, as you heard, fulfilled in part, in large part, by him in the Passion reading. What does he say? He says, I gave my back. I offered it. I gave my back to those who struck me in my cheeks, to those who plucked out my beard. Not only did he offer himself up simply to pay the price, but he gave his back and his cheek and his beard to the scorn and to the stupid ridicule of the very creatures that he came to save. A depth of stupidity not even known by sheep. That's why we sing to him tonight, thyself to scorn, it's offer. How unlike us though, isn't it? How unlike us, with face set like flint on his mark and his goal, he would not be deterred by any amount of scorn Men could say what they would. They could do what they would. They could threaten him with what they will. Set like flint. How about us? Around life's campfires and in life's courtyard conversations. How about you? Beyond the the security of a band of believing and like-minded and confessing and faithful brothers... In the faith, how how about me? Of Peter. From today's passion reading of Peter, at least with him, wrong as Peter was in denying the Christ under the heat and the pressure of the scorn he thought he'd face, at least one could say that at least he hadn't yet seen the end of the story. Though Christ had told him, hadn't he, what was going to happen at Jerusalem and how it was all going to come to pass. Peter had Christ's word, but friends, we know By their report, we know how it all turns out. We know Good Friday dusk gives way to the resurrection dawn. We know that this resurrected Christ who defied death has promised to be with us always, as he put it, in every situation in life. We know. And yet how we shrink in the face of ridicule. Mind you, it's... It's not always in what's said, is it? Or what's left unsaid. When someone around life's courtyard conversation calls you out on your Christian faith saying, yeah, you must be a disciple of his for your speech gives you away. No doubt it is in those times, isn't it? And our scared silence is the reply so that in saying nothing, we're really saying like Peter, I don't know what you mean must be mistaken. 
Sometimes it's in what's said or left unsaid, but often it's in what's done, isn't it? Life's actions, speaking far louder than our words, telling the world by the way we live, almost yelling to the world by the way we live, I swear to you, I do not know the man. Bold are we in the safety of the upper room. Surrounded by our own, but how the mighty roar of confession acquiesces in all the other arenas, the more threatening arenas in life. And if it's not a blatant denial, too often it's the the quiet kind. When someone criticizes Christ or Christian identity and we reason to ourselves, I just don't have the right thing to say. I don't have the right response at the moment, so I think I'll just remain quiet this time until, until next time. And let the Christ be scorned just this once more. It's common, isn't it? Common among students in school. Certainly common among students in our universities and colleges. But perhaps what's just as common in in schools and universities, colleges, indeed in workplaces and and in the public arena all over, is that those of certain positions of authority or who are set in places to speak where others may listen are often hesitant to come to the defense of those bold enough to confess or to come to the criticism of anti-Christian rhetoric because it seems that there's not that much perhaps to be gained by sticking my neck out, but there certainly is a whole lot for me to lose. Like Flint, he set his face on us But we, in so many ways, hid, as Scripture says, our faces from him. Jesus once said, if you're not for me, then you're against me. How grateful we can be that he is for us. Every Christian has stood where Peter stood at life's courtyard campfire, feeling the potential heat of ridicule or the threat, perhaps, of something worse than just ridicule. Each of us has disowned Christ at some time to some particular degree or another, hiding our face from him in order to save face in the company of our peers. And in one way or another, for each of us, that rooster has crowed, hasn't it? And we know it was wrong. And it's right for us to repent. It's right for us to regret the weakness of our confession. It's it's right for us to pray that next time we have the courage to say what needs to be said. It's, It's right for us to repent of having shared in the ridicule by our silent acquiescence to it. But I tell you this. It certainly would be wrong for us now not to follow Christ with our eyes. From that place of our remorse to follow him with our eyes. And watch him make his way in this Lenten season to Calvary. Each step he takes, undeterred he takes for you and for me. For remember this. Remember this. Had he preferred, he could have called it quits at any time. Could he not have? Had he preferred, he could have flexed his divine strength and 
and scattered like chaff. Those proud, those who, who did him wrong. You know, it reminds me again of that literary figure of Christian allegory I spoke of in a sermon some weeks or maybe even months ago now. It reminds me of Aslan, that lion of the magical land of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's Christ figure in his Christian allegory, the Chronicles of Narnia. Remember Aslan? Aslan, that lion of Narnia, who in the, the story, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, who gave his, his royal life for the life of that boy, who had gone the wayward way, the great lion. Maybe you read it, maybe you saw the film. So maybe you recall the great lion as the story goes. He lay himself down on the place of sacrifice. He allowed himself to be bound, to be beaten, and to be shaved and, and shorn of his majestic mane. He permitted himself to be ridiculed and mocked and then killed by all of those hideous creatures of Narnia that so delighted that day in their apparent victory. How easy it would have been for him to roar, a mighty roar, and to break the feeble bonds. But it wasn't rope, and it wasn't nails that held Christ to the altar. Christ's bonds of love for us bound him to the altar of the cross. His love wouldn't allow him to quit. His love for you impelled him to give, Scripture says, as we heard, his back to those who struck him and his cheek to those who plucked out his mane, his royal beard. And to not hide his face from the shame and the spitting. And he did it all for you and for me. He did it as scripture says. The Holy Spirit puts it so beautifully in scripture. Where in scripture says. Where in scripture he says. For the joy set before him. You know what that joy is? Do you know who that joy is? That's us. That's you and me. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, turning it on its head, scorning its shame, scorning, ridiculing its ridicule with his own death upon the cross, scorning its shame, and as it goes on to say, has now sat down at the right hand of power. And one day before him, every knee will bow. And every tongue, no matter what it is said of him in the past, ridiculed or confessed him, every tongue will confess that he, Jesus Christ, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well aware, friends, that Christ has won our eternal good. And aware of what the risen Christ continues day after day and week after week to do for us and in regard and for that eternal good, we can walk in the confidence in which Peter walked. The confidence in which he walked before us in the face of ridicule, we too can confess Christ. Why? For the joy set before us. The joy set before us, namely those who would come to hear of him 
by us through a confession <clears throat> through a confession that we otherwise wouldn't have spoken but yet we scorn the shame and spoke it anyway for those you see who would come to hear of them for those who would be eternally grateful that in that moment we did confess him so that they heard of him eternally grateful the confession for the confession that they that day heard and otherwise wouldn't have heard oh that we may share in that high distinction of being such vessels in our given vocations and our given offices in life through which God would work friends in the face of worse than that of worse than ridicule but legal threat and imprisonment we too with peter we can confess what else can i do we must obey god rather than men so do with me what you will friends in the face of even worse than that in the face of death itself with peter who would be crucified legend or rather history tells us who would be crucified rather than compromise an inch of the confession of his lord christ we too with peter can have the confidence to confess christ's name before men knowing knowing that christ has promised to confess us where it matters eternally not in the court of public opinion but before his father in heaven for we know As Isaiah tonight said, we know that come what may in this world that in the end the Lord God will help me and I will not be put to shame. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.